0: you <laughs> well hello and welcome to this episode of the Electrium podcast david evans here and on this episode we're talking all things amendment two that's right as you're fully aware in our industry amendment two of the 18th edition iet wine regulations has been published and on this episode we're going to talk about some of the key changes in amendment 2 and how they affect you uh joining me on this episode are a range of technical experts here at Electrium, simon dave and mike who are going to be helping me and you delve into the world of amendment 2 and how that affects you uh gentlemen uh thank you for joining me on this episode i hope you're all okay all good david thanks fine thank you
1: yes fine it's-
0: Everybody's good. That's the good start. Everybody's good. Right. As I said, we're going to talk about different aspects of Amendment 2, including artful detection, uh, transient overvoltage protection and uh, RCDs and RCBOs. Uh, but firstly, let's just get a bit of an overview of Amendment 2 and why it's come about. Uh, Mike, I'll come to you first. People might be saying, you know, why have we got another amendment now? You know, we've had 18th edition. There was Amendment 1. Now we've got Amendment 2. So why is it that we've got another Amendment 2? Um, the 18th edition.
2: Well, regulations uh, evolve over time. They uh, they, they not to be static. Uh, technologies change, and new products get invented. And um, the marketplace at the moment, for example, is a washer with EV chargers that weren't around 10 years ago when uh, when the previous regulations were around. So th- there's a need to update to accommodate new technologies, new products, and and, and other. Other regulatory bodies put their regulations up at the same and to be consistent with them, with the building regs, etc. And, of course, no regulation book is perfect. There will be things that need to be upgraded, needs to be amended, and we'll see in a little while when we look at the the new requirements on socket outlets. Um, There's been a requirement for RCDs on socket outlets in certain premises for a long time, but the emphasis has changed on this latest iteration. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little while but it's necessary to to have amendments in order to keep up with new technologies and new requirements and of course the ever increasing safety standards that we we strive for can only be achieved by uh, doing updates and uh, improving as you go
0: okay so obviously we everyone in the industry now has got a bit of a gist about amendment two and what's it but can you just give us some of the kind of the key highlights that have come from Amendment two, and that how that is going to affect residential installations
2: the key highlights that's a good question <clears throat> there are quite a few actually but um the three that stand out for us are changes to the regulations requiring AFDDs to be used uh, changes to uh, the way in which we make uh, decisions on transient over voltage protection and a new approach to providing RCD protection for groups of circuits um, instead of having half a dozen circuits on one RCD. Use RCBOs instead, which is a mantra that Electrium have been promoting for the last 20 years. Uh, and, and we're delighted to see other people joining in that um, that, that campaign, if you like. It's not a true campaign, but it's a it's a good way to describe it. And there's other things which don't really affect electrium very much or, or producers of the electrical switchgear very much the recognition that there are installations now which call, fall under a new category called prosumer someone who produces electricity from their own um, mechanisms a pv system or a microgeneration system of some sort and someone who the same person um consumes electricity from the grid as and when necessary and that's a good example of a new technology that's not been fully catered for in the regulations in the past and is being catered for in the latest version.
0: Okay, do, okay. uh, that's good to know. So why don't we kind of deep delve um, into some of these key changes that Mike mentioned then. The first thing Mike you mentioned there was art fault detection devices and uh, Simon I'll come to you on this one because uh, obviously we've had AFDDs in the market now for quite a while but one of the things that um, Amendment 2 is talking about is the use of artful detection devices. And is it, are they now mandated in Amendment 2?
1: OK, yes. Um, as you said before, that um, amend, the original 18th edition launch and Amendment 1, which has talked about electrical um, vehicle charging in the rain, um, but AFDDs uh, were... Um, started to be uh, quoted and, and uh, used within the 18th edition and it's been upgraded now slightly so that AFDDs are mandated for uh, certain installations. Um, in particular, they talk about um, higher risk residential buildings um, that you should be using AFDDs and this is particularly on uh, uh, socket outlets with a rating not exceeding 32 amps, so high-risk high, high risk residential buildings, houses in multiple occupation, purpose-built student accommodation and care homes. So uh, straight away that if you're working on a, any of those type of buildings or installations, you should be using AFDDs on socket outlets up to 32 amps.
0: Okay, and one and of the words that have come about, Ever since the 18th edition as well when we talked about art fault detection was was recommended in the use of art fault detection so so what does recommended mean then
1: okay well fortunately the um the amendment two of the regulations has now actually defined or it's got a definition section that is a lot more helpful and stronger for the uh, the industry so what i've referred to is basically a table on page 18 and it uh, really says that recommendation, the word should be used. So what it says in, in this particular example of AFDDs, where AFDDs are recommended for 32 amp sockets in other installations, that word recommended could be replaced with the word should. So. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's 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 a really good and simple way of explaining
0: it. Recommended equals should. Okay, so we know that from now. Recommended equals should. And obviously, Simon, artful detective devices. We we talked about how they've been in the market for a while now, but they are still relatively new to some installers and and people who work in our industry. Um, are they are they difficult to install then, or what what's it like to install one of these devices?
1: Okay, well they are they're not difficult to install at all any electrician you know over the years has been installing fuses they've been installing miniature circuit breakers they've been installing rcbo's and basically an afdd is a um a a smart for want of a better word a smart um rcbo so the connections into an afdd is completely the same. You have a live, you have a, a neutral, and uh, away, away you go. Uh, the only thing that is really different that maybe that people need to start to need to understand is that the AFD, like I said before, is is a smart device, and um, it has a number of ways of communicating with the uh, with the user w- once it's tripped. And for example, if it trips on um, an arc fault detection or art fault uh, has been detected on the on the line um, there's a series of lights that can be flashed uh, showing what what the reason for the fault so a, a single flashing yellow light for electrium products means an art fault detection a double flashing uh, yellow light means that uh, an over voltage has been detected on this on the system and then a triple flashing yellow light or amber light uh, is indicating there's been a an earth fault uh, on the on the on the installation. So that's the thing that people have got to get used to. It's not really installing the product they've got to get used to. It's actually communicating the reasons for the product tripping, but it's mm. fairly, fairly easy to use. We have a. Uh, quite a comprehensive instruction leaflet with these products and also a a label guide indicating what the flashing lights mean. I think um, in
2: addition to that, Simon, it's fair to say that anyone listening to this uh, might not be aware of the fact that the Electrium products are very easy to install and and we're fortunate in the fact that we've got the Siemens designers to make our products for us. And they fit into our regular consumer units just like a breaker or an rcbo that you install them in exactly the same way you don't need any special consumer units but there are some ifdds on the marketplace which are bigger than a regular device they need special buzz bars and they do need specific processes if if someone is installing them into a into an installation and I can understand why some people might think AFDDs are difficult to install and might might be a bit awkward to work with on site because, quite frankly, some are just because of the way they're constructed and the the electronics takes up so much space. But we we don't fall into that category. We have a product which is when you install an AFDD, it's exactly the same as installing an RCBO. No difference. Doesn't require anything special. Uh, and that's not the whole of the market, it is It is just a few brands who've got that luxury of being able to make it easy for the contractor.
1: But well, that, that's a very good point you've raised there, Mike, and uh, I, I sort of uh, ignore the fact that our, our AFDD now is a single module device, but um, two years ago when the uh, re- regulations uh, first incorporated AFDDs, our actual product then was actually a two module device. So. If you think of our old products, like you say, it takes it took up two modules, so it did. You you did need to um, have almost like an allocation of twice the space for incorporating our old AFDD device. That's
2: exactly and, right. We're past that now. We, we've we've that's been consigned to history.
1: Yeah, in, but it, all I was saying is, is exactly how our, our our technology has evolved, and now we've gone back to a single module device. So it's well, in our particular case, it's very easy to install, but it, that doesn't apply to the rest of the market. And some people do have even three module wide um, AFDD products and they, they could cause a lot of problems in a, in, a, in a installation.
0: OK, good to know. And one of the questions we regularly get as well from customers about AFDDs is testing. How are these devices tested? So could you, someone give us a bit more information about how do you test an artful detection device?
1: Okay, well, an art fault detection device, uh, uh, as a, as it stands as a as a its own module, doesn't have to be tested. Um, the actual art fault uh, uh, electronics as um, part of the uh, product standard as well. That all AFDDs have to have a self-test function. And so, um, when you're using an AFDD, uh during the during a 24-hour period all afdds have to run a self-test to check all the electronics are working correctly and um take it up to a point where they are about to trip the device and then but it doesn't actually initiate a trip of the device so the electronics create almost like a uh, a an arc fault within the within its uh, system and it checks that all the uh, functionality of that product is working. And a a lot of electronic components um, carry out self-tests. You you don't realize it, but but when you switch on, say, your computer, your computer will be running a self-test function before the screen comes, you know, lights up and tells you to log in onto the computer. When you start up your car in the morning, the electronics again run a complete self-test di- diagnostics on the electronics so all electronic equipment carry out this self-test when we talk about the um, the AFDD which is combined with an RCBO for example in, in our case um, the installers will still carry out um, the RCBO or the RCD element testing of, of that product um, but again, when you carry out your RCD testing and the device trips, when you reset that device, the AFDD will automatically again carry out its self-diagnostics testing. So not only do you get a self-diagnostics testing every 15 hours, which is what it happens with our particular AFDD device, but every time it trips, when you switch it back on, it carries out itself test function as well on that on that particular product finally you have got the test button which again the test button tests the rcbo but because the rcbo trips when the uh, when you switch the afdd back on or the rcbo element back on the afdd will carry out its, its self-test again so it, the self-testing function is is being done all the time and they're very, very reliable product it's um it's also
2: important to note that in previous versions of the regulations, the AFDDs weren't properly accounted for on on the um, initial verification certificates or on the EICRs, the the, the listings that you get in the back of the book in Appendix 6 and Chapter 64. But now they've been integrated properly into the test and um, check processes that are written out, the examples that are given in Appendix 6 so that you can fill in your certificates now to say you have got AFDDs and when you do an EICR you can fill in a certificate to say yes they are there, I have tested them and all you have to do to meet the regulations is press the
3: test button. I think this is a, this is a key point. Um, the question how do you test AFDDs implies that we need to do something more than we did before. Testing AFDDs is no different to any other form of testing that you do for similar devices in a board. Most of the tests that are done at commissioning are tests of the final circuit. We test RCBOs and RCDs in excess of that with specific RCD testing. Electrium AFDD RCBOs are subject to no different testing criteria than RCBOs. It is no different. You aren't compromised. You are required to do nothing, nothing more. So the testing of AFDDs is straightforward. It's a, a test process that all installers will be familiar with. And it, it should represent um, no real issue. In fact, an AFDD tests over and above the requirement in terms of its self testing that Simon described. It also gives you more feedback, more information as a device through its um, indication status lights. There's no compromising, including AFDDs. The testing process is a testing process that all installers are already familiar with.
1: Just as an additional comment there as well, um, when Dave talks about um, testing RCDs and RCBOs, um, that's an interesting change in the amendment. Uh, two of the regulations that RCDs only have to be tested on a one-times test now so the half times and the five times element of the testing RCDs has been uh, dropped. So the actual testing of RCD time has been reduced for the installers.
0: let's move on to transient overvoltage protection or surge protection as well, as you may know it for as well. I'm going to ask a fellow Dave. It's good to have two Daves on the podcast. Uh, Dave, let's talk a bit more about um, this element of Amendment 2. So what is there? A, is transient overvoltage protection a requirement now in terms of Amendment 2? The
3: short answer to that is yes, transient overvoltage protection is a requirement. Um if I start with the uh, if I start initially and say that certainly for electrical installations where the consequence of overvoltage could result in serious injury or loss of human life, the failure of safety services or significant financial or, or data loss, it is a requirement. The wiring regulations requires that SPD's surge protection devices are included. In all other cases, over and above that, transient over-voltage protection is also required. There is one exception that I will touch on, and that exception is only where the owner of the installation chooses to opt out of that requirement. Um, If the homeowner opts out of that requirement, they are essentially accepting all the risks consequential losses, they are accepting that the losses due to not including surge protection are tolerable to them. Um, I think this is an important note to make. Um, I think all customers, if an installer is, is doing a job for a customer, Installing a new consumer unit, new protective devices, and so forth. The conversation needs to be needs to take place. The customer needs to be aware of the the benefits of surge protection devices and the requirement of the wiring regulations for their inclusion. Um, if the customer still chooses to, as they can. Uh, To opt out of that requirement, uh, I I believe it would be important for the installer to make sure that that opt out, that decision is recorded at the point of installation. Moving on from that, I think if we look at the the new wording of the uh, regulation, Keep in mind that it is far, uh, far simpler than it was previously. The previous version of the wiring regulations talked about calculated risk levels. It talked about flash density maps, cable lengths, um, location, urban, suburban, all that has gone. The wiring regulations now simply says we are required to include surge protection in all cases. Specifically mention mentioning the, the elements that I, I spoke about initially, but also in all other cases with that one exception. So, I, I think the thrust of the wiring regulations is yes, SPDs in all cases, <clears throat> but over and above that, only omit it if the customer specifically states that that is acceptable to them that's a really good way of
2: explaining it dave i I think um the reg it's very clear the regs require spds to be included so that's the that they place that responsibility on the designer and on the installer and they only allow one alternative to that and that's when the sparky talks to the customer and the customer then says well i know you've included it because you've got to but i don't want it And I don't think many people will come to that conclusion if they understand the benefits of having an SPD uh, in their installation. And that's a bit of a challenge for the electricians to get used to explaining. But I think they can manage that quite easily.
1: Yeah, It's a good point, that is, because we're getting almost into the um, process of selling insurance, (laughs) almost. Uh, I mean, that's the way you need to. Sort of look at an SPD device. Um, it's protecting you against future overvoltages. And most people may may think about overvoltages coming from lightning strikes or atmospheric origin, but the reality is there's a lot of transient spikes on the network. Every time you carry out a switching operation, you know even switching a light switch in your in your own home. That sends a spike onto the system. Now, lo- a lot of the time, these spikes are, are very low in magnitude, and they they don't affect um, the electronics because the electronics themselves are meant to withstand 1.5 um, kV, uh, you know, uh, overvoltage. But um, there can be instances where, you know, on the on the network um, and that they can be sending spikes of, you know, anything up to 20 KV down the lines. And um, if they got through to you, your electronic equipment, they would certainly um, blow it up or uh, at best, you know, or the circuitry, or when I say blow it up, it just stops the circuitry from blowing, you know, the the diodes within the uh, el- electronics, the um, the uh, silicon chips in there and everything else, and it's, it's quite interesting as well. I, I mean, I, I've had a, a recent um, purchase of a flat screen TV, and I actually rang up the manufacturer to say, um, what was the uh voltage withstand over voltage withstand of this particular product, and they couldn't actually advise me, so I actually thought it would be 1.5 kV as per the uh the the standard, but um, the manufacturer couldn't actually tell me what the overvoltage withstand was of the product, and then the only the the leaving phrase to me was that uh, in their mind, uh, SPD should be fitted to protect the TV.
0: And that's, so, so when we're talking about benefits of these devices and explain that to customers is is that what we're talking about there about how these devices can kind of be an insurance for for electronic devices especially expensive electronic devices in your home especially if like many of us still um are working from home that it is uh, a protection for you know equipment you've got for entertainment or for work purposes being lost i I think just
3: just turn the question on its head What are the consequences of not including surge protection devices? Once a customer understands the consequences of not including surge protection devices, I think you then make the case for their inclusion. As Simon implied, every piece of electronic uh, equipment that we certainly plug into our socket circuits at home will have a certain dielectric strength. And it's vulnerable to surges. It's vulnerable to damage not always not always immediate or, or dramatic damage it can certainly be damage that can occur over a period of time reducing the lifespan of equipment but just go back a little bit within the installation itself as well as the things that we plug in we've got products that form part of the electrical installation that are vulnerable we have heating controls we have Burglar alarms, smoke detectives, detectors, all sorts of elements that are vulnerable to transient overvoltages. Um, I, I, I think if the case is made in that way, there is only one answer that can be arrived at, and that is include surge protection. They should become um, a regular part. Of the switch gear contained within everybody's consumer units. And just to go back right to the, the beginning of this section of questioning, this is why the wiring regulations has become as specific as it now is. And it is specific. SPDs are valid and should be included for all installations. It's great news for installers in some
2: ways that they've taken away all the complexity of that calculated risk method that was introduced before and this is what i was saying about updated regulations that they managed in this case to simplify a regulation right down to a yes
0: or no question are sbds required yes they are okay good to know on that one okay let's move on then to another um key highlight from them 2 that mike mentioned early on and that is uh, in particular to rcds and rcbo's um, so, Simon, I'll come back to you firstly on this one. Uh, what does Amendment 2 tell us about using RCBOs?
1: Well, the, there's not a, a major change in this uh, in actual regulation, but um, I suppose really the focus should be on on unwanted on tripping. I mean, certainly um, if you... Tri- the amendment to the regulation 531.3.2 refers to um, uh, sorry, yeah, 531.3.2. Sorry, yes, unwanted tripping. Um, RCBOs uh, used for individual final circuits in residential premises is a method that can be incorporated to prevent unwanted tripping. Uh, also, it refers to section three one four, which talks about um, separating circuits uh, across uh, RCDs as well. So um, it just it's just reinforcing the fact that RCBOs really is one of one of the preferred methods to prevent unwanted tripping in um, in residential uh, in- installations.
0: Okay, then. We talked about RCDs as well, in particular type AC, RCDs, I believe, and what what does Amendment 2 tell us about that as well?
1: Well, okay. type AC, um, the,
0: the,
2: the, the use of type AC has been restricted now to specific types of equipment, basically simple resistive loads, like an old style filament lamp pourer. Uh, A one bar electric fire, which these things don't exist anymore. Type AC can't be used on any equipment or any circuit where there are electronic components. So um, very limited uses under the new regs.
0: And then just talking more about RCDs, Dave, I'll just come to you on this one. Are there any changes to RCDs in in reference to sockets?
3: There are changes to to rcds uh in, in reference to sockets i think i think the, the point i would make is is this that 30 milliamp rcd protection is required for all sockets in almost all instances um, so on top of that no exceptions are allowed in locations where sockets are used by ordinary people, children, the disabled. There are no exceptions at all. Certainly for um, residential installations, the requirement for 30 milliamp uh, protection, 30 milliamp being defined as additional protection, is required completely. More broadly than that, there is now more emphasis upon socket circuits being afforded 30 milliamp protection based upon the uh, type of people using that installation so again ordinary persons children disabled persons there are very very few instances now where rcd protection can be emitted from uh socket circuits
1: i think um rcd protection within um the re- regulations is a really good example of how the regulations evolve. I mean, if you think about the, the 16th edition, RCDs were sort of incorporated for the protecting circuits that are used outdoors, and slowly over time, the 16th went to the 17th edition, and RCDs were used on a lot more circuits, in particular circuits, are, you know, 32 amp socket outlets. Circuits and uh, circuits where where, um, where the, um, the mechanical protection wasn't on the cable, or, or where general people would come in in, in contact with the uh, the um, socket outlets, and then socket out uh, RCDs are used on uh, light fittings and uh, etc. So it's come to the the point where RCD protection is used on on virtually every circuit within residential and a lot of uh, commercial applications now as well. I think so- the, um, the big change, Simon, is exactly as you point out,
2: the big change for people installers is to note that in commercial installations there will be more use of RCBOs going forward because just because you are a worker at at your work location and you've been shown how to plug in a device and use a device safely. It doesn't make you an instructed person or a skilled person in terms of the installation of the, using the installation electrical installation. You're still an ordinary person. So in the past where people might have omitted RCD protection on sockets in the office, at, at the shop, at the restaurant, at the bank, because there's a there's a concern about unwanted tripping, causing disruption to banking, to to commerce, to work and production. Those concerns aren't aren't the primary concern anymore. The primary concern is who's going to use the socket. If they are ordinary people, if they are disabled people, if they are children, then 30 milliamp protection has to be provided. And this brings us back to um, a point that we started out on this particular category rcbo's the only way to guarantee you won't get unwanted tripping where you have to provide 30 milliamp additional protection on sockets is to use an rcbo on each individual circuit the rcbo will only trip if you've got a fault that's not a nuisance trip that's not unwanted tripping that's tripping you should that is desired it's it's tripping because there's a fault and it needs to switch the power off to protect the users so big change this one big change in emphasis concentrate on who's using it regardless of the installation that it's in and protect
0: the user okay that's great to know just one final bit on this section uh mike i'll come back to you on this one is outdoor lighting there seems to be some changes for amendment to on on outdoor lighting what what are those
2: well um Outdoor lighting, there was a section in in the regs before which dealt with outdoor lighting and there's a section there now. But the new um, regulation talks about outdoor lighting that's accessible to the public. It makes a very simple statement. Outdoor lighting that is accessible to the public requires additional protection by a 30 milliamp device. And again, you don't want your outdoor lighting tripping off your whole house. So for me, it, it goes on its own circuit on an RCBO. So it's in all gardens, all spaces open to the public, any any place where um, ordinary people find themselves adjacent to accessible outdoor lighting. And um, there were there were requirements in the past, but that's been extended to include gardens and spaces open to the public.
0: Okay, so we, we've gone into detail there on, uh, on three really of the of the key highlights in Amendment Two of the Eighteenth Edition. Um, just to nearly wrap things up on this episode, I'm going to kind of throw this question out and let it be a bit of a free for all to whoever wants to to jump in or put their their thought on it is. But from what we've discussed there, and obviously anything else in uh, that that comes about with Amendment Two as well, is there one key change that affects our customers that they should take away from Amendment Two? Not one
2: key change. No, I I would say there are three specific headlines headlines that we've spoke about. Three specific headlines: SPDs are required in all installations. AFDDs have been mandated in four types of premises, and they're recommended in all other types of premises. And where additional protection is required, 30 milliamp protection, the use of RCBOs should be the primary way in which installers prevent unwanted tripping. Don't put five or six circuits on one RCD because you'll trip off five or six circuits when only one is faulty. And these are really good developments. All of them. They're all improving safety. They're all improving power continuity and. Uh, provided a, a safer environment for the users. Um, I, I don't know if you'd like to add anything to that, Dave or Simon?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say. Um, the, the the industry doesn't want to st- stick its head in the sand and they certainly should take a look at uh, chapter 82 about persumers. I mean, this is the future of electrical distribution within the country, you know, we all need to reduce electrical consumption and start to even creating our own electricity for personal use. So I think uh, a lot of the electrical contractors need to have a look at Chapter 82. It's quite an important one for the future. It's a good point. That and
2: the growing number of EV charges and the demands for EV um, points on the build, this is why I mentioned the building regulations at the start. It's a requirement to put an EV point on new buildings now, on any, any new properties built from this year, a certain amount of them have to have um, a, a car charging point or facility for a car charging point. So that has to be built into the design of the electrical installation.
3: All, all, I, would add, all I would add at this point, um, in, to what the, the guys have said, there is there is there is no one um, key change uh, There never is one key change when we have a new version of the YM regulations I would say generally um, I think the emphasis now has to move towards um, separate electrical protection I suppose is the word uh, that I'm looking for um, we've been required for a long long time to divide An installation into circuits, avoiding danger, uh, minimizing inconvenience and so forth. Uh, 314, which is a regulation that we're all familiar with. But now we are adding, or we have been over a number of years, adding layers of protection to a typical installation. We have short circuit protection, we have overload protection, we have earth fault protection, and now we have arc fault protection. Coming back to what Mike and Simon have both said, we have devices that enable us to divide that protection and apply it specifically to individual circuits. Our CBOs and AFDDs enable us to do that. They enable us to um, apply that protection into a consumer unit per circuit. We are not talking about the inclusion of RCDs protecting many circuits here now so we're able to reduce the overall size of a consumer unit certainly all of the electrium protective devices have a single module width this will enable us to additionally apply um over voltage protection transient over voltage protection so it's a it's a whole basket of measures that we need to apply. And that can't be drawn from one key regulation. I think we need to look at it going forward, and we need to look at it to as a change to what was typical with your dual RCD and high-integrity type boards. We are now moving towards separate electrical protection using RCBOs and AFDs, along with transient overvoltage protection, um, applied to new installations and I think that's the direction that we go into and I think that's the direction that uh, the requirements of BS 7671 are, are moving towards as well.
0: Okay guys that's great I think we we've delved really deep there in terms of Amendment 2, and I hope people listening uh, today have got a bit more insight about Amendment 2 of the edition and how it affects them. Of course, if you listen to this and you want to find out even more about this latest amendment, Electrium are here to help. You can go to our website and go to our dedicated pages, which is electrium.co.uk forward slash AAM2, or just search Electrium Amendment 2 on your preferred search engine, and you will find a host of information and help on amendment 2 which will be updated over the next coming weeks and months as more things come out about amendment 2 and how we can help you and how and what you need to know about this latest change for your installations if you fancy having a chat with somebody about it as well you can speak to your local sales contact or all, all all you need to do for that is again to go on our website and go on which is electrium.co.uk click on the support tab at the top of the page and then click on find your local contact type in your postcode and you'll get the telephone number of your nearest sales contact and you can have a chat to them about amendment 2 and also our amendment 2 solutions that can help you out further as well uh, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode please look at our listen to our back catalogue uh, subscribe to our channel and give us a five-star review on your preferred podcast listening platform as well we hope you've um, enjoyed this and you've learned more about amendment 2. Uh, dave mike and simon thank you again for joining me on this episode today Uh, It's been really helpful learning more about Amendment 2. But for this episode, uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.